Well, we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, in the middle of chapter 14, and we've got to go over some more context and build this background. Over the last few weeks, we've been talking about the gifts of the Spirit, its operation, whether or not it's a time of cessationism. We get that um, sermon a few weeks ago, and you can review that last week, actually. And we also see that the greatest manifestation, the preeminence of love through the gifts of the Spirit. And then we've been talking about edification. That fancy words mean the building up of the church. And we want to build some more background. We want to remind you before we go into the last part of this chapter that when the Corinthians met together, they didn't have church buildings. They were kicked out of the synagogue. They're meeting in houses, most likely the biggest houses they could find. And it is a time of disorder. Lots of people are operating the gifts of the Spirit. They're overruling each other. They're talking at a turn. And so now as we go into chapter 14, starting in verse 26, Paul is going to teach us how to do those things and how they were supposed to have church. We're going to look this morning on what's cultural and what's universal. We're going to talk about roles, and we're going to talk about how to do church and the, using the gifts of the Spirit. Let's pray, and then we're going to start in verse 26. Father, we pray for your anointing once again. We pray for ourselves that we would receive a fresh filling of your spirit, that your word would be taught well, and that you'd write it on the tablets of our heart, that we would be growing in you and challenged in you, and that as we continue to be molded in your image, it's always for your glory, always for your purposes. And so we pray this morning that your will would be done in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's read verses 26 through 33. How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or the most three, each in turn, and let one interpret. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church, in church, and let him speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others judge. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets." For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Well, if we go back to verse 26, it, it is just mind-boggling that they can get together and that it not be beneficial. That they can be doing all this stuff and that they're actually leaving church worse off than when they started. And that's what Paul had pointed out in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, a couple chapters ago. Speaking about head coverings and, and distractions, he said in verse 17 of that chapter, Now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. We can have church, and we can leave worse off than when we started. We don't, we don't want to do that. And so as they are gathering together, we, we've been seeing over the last few weeks that they become self-seeking that they're not worried about the other people around them. And, and the Lord, through Paul, is correcting those things. But we do have something to commend here. We, we talk about the Corinthians' faults, but they are all involved in the service. They are all being used by God and participating. It's not just one person. They're just not showing up and stamping their hall pass, their, their frequent buyer church card, and like, oh, I'm, 
I, I showed up. Now I'm going to go home, and I'll wait till next week till God speaks to me again. They're all participants, and they're commended for their spiritual gifts. We saw that in the beginning of this epistle. Paul said that they don't lack in any spiritual gift. It, they're being encouraged. It's how they operate those things that's the issue here. Back in the 1800s, Spurgeon, he's very blunt about this. He, he says, spiritual self-indulgence is a monstrous evil. Yet we see it all around. On Sunday, these loafers must be well fed. His words, not mine. <laughs> he says, they look out for such sermons as will feed their souls. The thought does not occur to these people that there is something else to be done besides feeding. A little spicy from Spurgeon there. You can see why I had to quote him and not use my own words for that. I didn't want to rewrite that. But we, are, we can commend the Corinthians because they come to service and they come to serve and they're a part. And we're called to do the same thing. We're, we're not here to uh, make a popular pastor. With this one, it's never going to happen. But for all of us, we are to be growing in the Lord, edifying one another. Let all these things be done for edification, the building up. That means we build each other up as the Spirit is working in us. We all have gifts to be used. Now, in the Corinthian church, there's a debate. Some people believe that they use the Jewish tradition and the women were on one side, the men were on the other. It's possible. We don't have any evidence for this. So let's say plausible. Or they were just in one big group. But either way, an individual would just step up and maybe they'd read a memory verse. Maybe they would have a gift of tongues. Maybe they would have a prophecy, a, a unique word from the Lord. Maybe the Lord impressed something on their heart. Maybe they had a praise report that they wanted. And they would just pop up and sometimes they'd overrule each other. And that's not a bad thing. We see that that's supposed to be done in order. And we see that when that happens, they're to be discerning. You're going to notice over and over in this section, one or two and the rest in silence. One or two and the rest in silence. And if there is a speaking in tongues, there is to be an interpreter. When there is to be a gift of prophecy, it's supposed to be, uh, it's supposed to be tested. Is this legit or not? We're just not going to believe everything that we hear because it seems spiritual. So how are they supposed to be discerning there in the first century? Number one, they were to be, these things are to be tested by apostolic tradition. What does that mean? Paul's literally walking around, and he says, do it this way, not that way, inspired by the Holy Spirit. The other apostles that were walking with Jesus and learned directly from him would share exactly what they heard and how to do things. Now, Jesus wouldn't do it that way. Well, we're going to believe him because they walked with Jesus, and he anointed them. Filled them with the Spirit. And they'd have the epistles like the epistle we have now. A letter would arrive to the church from the apostle and say, hey, are we doing this right? Yes or no? Second, for the first century, was the Word of God, the Old Testament. Now, they didn't have pocket Old Testaments. Remember, it's a giant scroll. And it's worth a year's wages to get one of those things. But they grew up, in the Jewish at least, grew up in the synagogue, Hearing the reading of the word, they could still sneak into the synagogues if they didn't tell everyone they were uh, Christians, because at that time they're starting to get kicked out. And so they're going to see, is these prophecies, this speaking in tongues, this word of knowledge, this teaching, is it in line with apostolic tradition, the word of God? And then third, the spirit himself. Because the spirit's not going to contradict himself. And so he's manifesting, we're going to be checking these things out. 
no, that doesn't jive. No, that doesn't work. Or we say, wow, that's amazing. You know, by observation of the world, by the word of God, by apostolic tradition, like all these things are lining up. Man, this is from the Lord. This is incredible. Remember that reference we used last week in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're not to quench the spirit. Chapter 5, verse 19. We're not to despise prophecies. Verse 20. And then one of my favorites, verse 21, says, though, we're to test all things and hold fast to what is good, decently and in order. There's a, there's a balance here. And so, again, we need to be encouraged to know we don't just come to church, check in like we're going to a movie theater. Oh, that was entertaining, and then leave. We're to be participants, but decently and in order, one at a time, ministering to each other, that could simply be praying for one another. How's your day? How's the Lord leading you? How's your walk with the Lord? Hey, you know, I read this verse the other day. I pray it encourages you. Here's this verse. Worshiping together, reading together, volunteering together. We are the church. Now, we saw that discernment of spirits, speaking of the Corinthian church, is a gift from the Holy Spirit in chapter 12. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, it says, to another, the working of miracles, to another, prophecy, to another, discerning of spirits, to another, different kinds of tongues, to another, the interpretation of tongues. Notice that discerning of spirits. You know, this is from the Lord. This is not from the Lord. Well, this is, this is correct. This is not correct. But it's not just a gut feeling or an emotion. It's to be discerned through the Word of God, through the Spirit of God, through fellowship, multiple checks and balances. Now, what about the actual order here that he's talking about? He says that if someone gets up and speaks in tongues, that's an angelic language or a foreign language that can't be understood, somebody else, when their turn is up, when it's their turn, gets up and has an interpretation. This is what it means. If they don't, that times for tongue ceased. It's done now. You're going to stop. If someone gives up and has a prophecy... This could be, in its literal sense, history in advance, where God reveals the future. It's very unique. I don't see it very much anymore. The only prophecy I see now is in the Scripture, but it does. remember, the gifts are still for today. And then someone's going to have that gift of discernment and come up. Yes, no, does this line up, does it not? For example, this is dangerous now because I'm coming off the rails. That's what we're going to say. If somebody has a prophecy that the Lord is going to show up tomorrow, that is not biblical. Because the Bible says no man knows the day or the hour. So we're immediately going to discern this is not correct, in error. And so we see that that gift is going to be operated maybe two to three times at max, and it's always going to be tested, and then it's time to stop. But what is the point of Paul's scripture here? It's not the emphasis on the gifts or how the gifts are to be in operation. That's the practical. The emphasis on, on holding your tongue, on being quiet. If you feel that the Holy Spirit's working in you and you're going to interrupt somebody else, he says, and then be silent. Hold your peace. You see that over and over again here in the text. If not, he's to stop. They're to stop. Over and over again. Let me make sure I get to the right text here. There we go. Let him keep it to himself. 
let him keep silent. First be silent over and over and over again. This is going to be very important because we know that the gifts of the Spirit in Galatians, one of them is self-control. We have more self-control, not less control when the Spirit is moving. We need to remember that when people are trying to overrule each other, when there's confusion, when people are trying to be self-seeking, this comes from Satan. That's demonic. In James chapter 3, it says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. This is the strongest language here. When you're seeking yourself and you want to be seen and you want to jump up in front of other people. And then he's going to continue now in verse 16. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Synonymous. They work together. Where there's confusion and disorder, it comes from the enemy. That's not the spirit. That's not the Holy Spirit. When you see multiple people making multiple utterances, that doesn't come from the Lord. Not done decently and in order. It says in verse 17, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield. Yes, yeah, so it's time for someone else to speak, not me. Full of mercy and good fruits, fruits of the Spirit, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the, full, the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So if we're going to see the manifestation of the Spirit, if we're going to see those gifts and, and um, experience those things, they're going to be done the way the Lord wants them done. Now we have a time for this on Wednesday nights. We have an intercessory prayer time. And that's the time where if the Spirit manifests itself, then we're going to do those things according to the biblical standard. And if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're going to keep silent in the time that you're to keep silent. We're going to speak one at a time. That's why when the teacher is teaching or the pastor teacher or someone's giving announcements or we're having even our prayer time, we pray one at a time so that we can all agree together. And we're going to yield. See, this is important because you can't have somebody just jump up and, oh, the Lord is telling me that he is wrong and we are just going to, no, not going to interrupt himself. But we also need to remember that we are encouraged to use those gifts in the fellowship. Now, it's not just these two gifts. There's the gift of encouragement, the gift of teaching, the gift of healings, the gift of administrations. We've been talking about these things over the last few weeks. And you have those gifts, and you are holding out on us. Now, this is the hard part here. There are some people here. It'd be easier for, to, for the Lord to confirm on your heart to go to Africa and be a missionary than it is for you to speak up in front of people you don't know. For some of you, you're like, yeah, no, Lord, kill me. I'm not doing it. it that, is that hard for you to go and introduce yourself to somebody else? Oh, well, die to yourself, my friend, and start being a part of this fellowship and growing in the Lord. For some of us, that's not the problem. If, if there's a few people in here right now, if I said, hey, come on up and teach, you'd be marching up here ready to roll. Whether you're good at it or not, or whether the Lord's called you or not, not even a problem. You're just that confident. But that's why we need each other. You see, I need people in my life that are mystical, that are spiritual. I need those people so they can provoke me to love and good works. But they need me. 
so we can keep them from flying off a cliff and going into crazy land. No, 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 decently and in order. Look, the book says right here that we got to do that. Yeah, but the spirit, I really feel the Lord's leading me to go to Africa. Yeah, but not to leave your family. I'm, I'm glad the Lord's put that on your, we need each other. And I need to hear, are you willing to give up everything for Christ? Are you willing to make a fool of yourself for Christ? That's the same way that we need older brothers and sisters in the Lord with younger brothers and sisters in the Lord. We need those that are spiritually mature with those that are just starting out. Now, that's not just age. That's maturity. Those of us that are older in the Lord, we need people that are fresh, that just got saved because they're on fire. They're ready to change the world. And we're kind of like, yeah, yeah, I've been there, done that, you know, chill. No, no, you need them, but they need your maturity. Like, no, probably not a good idea to bring your bullhorn to your job site to minister to your boss. Probably not the way the Lord wants to work here. But we need that. That's part of the fellowship, edifying, building each other up. And so Paul's been reemphasizing this for the last few chapters. Edification, 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 building up. Now, I pointed out being silent, keeping silent, stay silent. I did that on purpose because I had to build a background because you can't just jump into these next few verses without some context. Verses 34 and 35 say this. Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for women to speak in church. Now, I didn't write this. The Lord did. So if you're already upset, chill. We're just going to see what the Bible has to say about this. All right, number one, this does not mean that all you ladies in here cannot talk the second you hit the door. And then you get to speak again when you leave. That's not what this means. Remember, context, context, context. In chapter 11, just a few chapters before this, they were talking about head coverings, how the ladies were distracting with their dress, the things they had on their head. But what did he say? He said in verse 5 of that chapter, but every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. For that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. So we see even there in the Corinthian church, the women were praying and prophesying. So it's not to be silent as in no speaking ever. Now let's look at the Bible and what the Bible has to say. We see that prophesying happening in Acts chapter 21. If you're at the men's study, you know Philip's daughters. They were prophesying, all four of them. What else do we see? We see some very important concepts in the Bible. Number one, women and men, men and women, are equally capable of almost everything. One is not inferior to the other. We are different. We are created different. But one is not more important than the other, and one is not inferior. Number two, God has created specific roles for males and females, especially in the church and the family. But... What else do we see from Scripture? Well, we see in the Corinthian church that these ladies were causing division and destruction. I shouldn't say destruction. That's too far. They were causing division and commotion and confusion. What that means, we don't really know. Some people believe that when someone was prophesying or speaking the word, and one of the ladies would jump, well, what does that mean? What does that mean? I think it means this, another lady would jump up when they should have kept the context 
and magnified their homes and their marriages, submitting one to another in godly fear. Other people believe that the ladies were just taking over completely. And some people believe that this text is only for the Corinthian church and the Corinthian culture. So let's look to the Bible and see. Because when Paul is teaching Pastor Timothy in 1 Timothy for a completely different region, it says in chapter 2, verse 11, let a woman learn in silence with all submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over man, but to be in silence. Now, there's some people in here, I can say, you get white knuckled, about to walk out. Well, let's look at this in context. First of all, women, you cannot be a pastor. You cannot have authority over a man. Ah, but there's plenty of good women pastors there. I was watching one on TV. She spoke to my heart, changed my marriage. My husband loves her. A great ministry. His word will never return void, no matter who it comes from. Now, the next statement I'm going to have is a bit controversial. I'm not making an implication. It is an observation. But God spoke through Balaam's donkey. That doesn't mean that donkeys should be in the ministry. <laughs> observation. Observation, not application. What do we see from the scripture? Women can be the president. They can be senators, they can be in the boardroom, they can be at a CEO, they can be soldiers, they can be warriors. Uh, there's biblical examples of all of these. The Queen of Sheba, Esther, Deborah. In Proverbs 31, it says, a most excellent wife. Who can find her? She's good at business. In Proverbs 31, 16, she considers a field and buys it. From her profits, she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. She perceives that her merchandise is good, and her lamp does not go out by night. This lady knows how to buy and sell real estate. She's building up an industry and agriculture. That's a virtuous wife. Now, some of our more conservative brothers are like, wait, 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 wait. Titus 2 says that women should be homemakers. Yes, it does. That's not exclusive. You can be both. What does it say about elders and bishops in 1 Timothy? That a man is to rule his own house well. It's to be disciplined and in order. They're to take care of the home just as much as the ladies are. We are all to build the home. And remember, in the Corinthian church, the home is the church. That's where they're meeting. We're to all rule our homes well. We're all to be home-focused and family-focused. So when Paul says a woman is to be silent in the Corinthian church because the law says so, he makes an observation. What law is he talking about? Most likely, it's Genesis 3.16 it says, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Generally speaking, now this, doesn't have, uh, this isn't all the time and not in every situation. The ladies are ready to take over. They're ready to be in charge. They want to be in control, even if they're not in front. They want to have everything the way they want to have it. Now, that's a part of their nature. That doesn't surprise me. What surprises me is the guys. The guys are like, oh, yeah, she's got it under control. She's, oh, whatever. I'm going to go to the golf course. She'll handle it. She's the spiritual one. Well, Matthew Henry's commentary in the 1600s, like a breath of fresh air, because they don't have any of this in the 1600s, who, what gender you are. They don't have anything about male and female roles. They're not arguing over whether or not their kid is born a boy or a girl or can choose. Nonsense. So in Matthew Henry's commentary in the 1600s, what does he say about this verse here, about women speaking in church? Does he go after the ladies? Oh, he doesn't go after the ladies. 
He goes after the guys. Let's, let's, let's see it together. He, he says, no, as it is the woman's duty to learn in subjection, it is man's duty to keep up his superiority by being able to instruct her. If it be her duty to ask her husband at home, it is his concern and duty to endeavor at least to be able to answer her inquiries. If it be a shame for her to speak in the church which, where she should be silent, it is a shame for him to be silent when he should speak and not be able to give an answer when she asks him at home. We both have roles, male and female. We both have roles and we're both to be submitted to one another and we're to walk in those roles. Like I said, women could be the president of the United States. They could be in the Senate, the CEO, the boardroom. They're supposed to be good at business. They're very intelligent. But in the church, God has ordained that man is to be the head of the church the way that man is to be the head of the home. That doesn't mean that he's a tyrant, that he's in control of all things, and that the women are under the thumb in the household. Absolutely not. Did we not see earlier in this very section of Scripture to hold your peace, to keep silent? Everyone in the church is to be silent when someone is speaking. When the, holy world, when the word of God is being spoken, we're all to hold our peace and to be in control. So we have this culture that's telling us that the word of God is oppressing people and it's subjecting women and it's taking, making us all as slaves. Absolutely not. If, if you have a room full of senators, you think they're all trying to argue over each other and speak louder they got to be in control the rest of the men and women need to be quiet when something's getting done in a general when all the generals are together coming with a battle plan does someone come out of order when the when the lead commander is speaking or do they too also need to learn to hold their tongue to be in self-control we all have to hold our peace we all have to be in subjection one to another now, we need to be able to do this in our homes as well because our homes and our churches are a sign from God. In Ephesians chapter 5, it says that, yes, the head of the home is to be the man, but he's to love his wife as Christ loved the church. There is no higher calling than that. The Son of Man came to serve, not be served. The woman is to submit to her husband. And that is I've seen these husbands. That's difficult. I get it. But it's from the Lord. But what do we see? Just as in the home, it is to be in the church. In Ephesians 5.21, it says, submitting one to another in the fear of God. We're all to submit. We're all to be in control. We're all to be able to hold our peace, to be silent. When God speaks, we are quiet. When he commands, we obey. That's all of creation. Not just women, not just men, not just kids. We all have a role to play. A woman's role is not to be the pastor of a church. Is she capable? Yes. But in Ephesians chapter 5, speaking of a home, speaking of a male and a female, a husband and a wife, the Bible says that it's a mystery, but it's a sign of Christ and the church. It is sacred that Christ is the head and that the church is his bride. And so when a woman becomes a pastor or a senior leader or is teaching over men, she is usurping authority. She is going in Genesis chapter 3. She is breaking that law. She's trying to be in control. That's not her role or her place. 
It doesn't mean that she's not capable. Well, Pastor Mike, I mean, come on. I've, I've read this book by this woman pastor. It's amazing. It changed my life. Oh, I have this message that I heard on TV or, or I visited or this great miracle that God did in my life through the ministry of this lady. The majority of your Bibles today are printed in China. Does that mean that we're going to throw them into the trash because they're printed in China? Does that mean that it's all void because the communists are trying to bulldoze churches? As we speak right now, they are bulldozing churches in China and arresting pastors and teachers and evangelists. Do we throw those books? No, because his word will not return void. That doesn't mean that what is taught is always in error. We're to be discerners. His word will never return void. And so, yes, there can be a great moving of God's spirit, the word of God. It, it can be taught out of order, not in context, not according to God's will, and still be the truth of God's word. We need to be able to divorce those two. But if we are going to submit to each other and submit to the authority of God's word, then we have to take the roles that God has given us. Now, going back to the original context, these two verses, they're in a, a whole chapter. Remember, this is about church order. This is about taking a, a church that is meeting to the detriment of the believers. I find nothing to praise you with, he says, for you're leaving worse than when you came. And putting things decently in an order where the fellowship is working together. Again, what was those verses that we started? Verse 26 through 28. For the edification, the building of each other. And so he continues in verses 36 to 38. Or did the word of God come originally from you? Or was it you only that it reached? If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. For if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. Paul is underlining this. I am speaking God's word. It is not up for negotiation. So why does he have to emphasize that? Well, if somebody jumps up during the Corinthian fellowship and said, no, Paul is wrong and we are anointing, Elder Mary as the leader of this fellowship. Paul's saying, no, this is a law. This is a commandment from God. This is not negotiable. So that takes the argument of, well, this is written only for the Corinthians, about the Corinthians. That's not accurate. First off, we have the reference in 1 Timothy, and here we have Paul himself saying, you cannot override this. It's not up for discussion. God says so is the reason. That's the reason. You don't get to reinterpret it by your own revelation. Well, I think that was for then and this is for today. No. Because what else can you rewrite in God's law? Salvation was by faith alone then, but not anymore. You cannot rewrite these things. They're doctrines. The commandments of God. So now we have a little bit of a tough verse here. It says, let those who are ignorant be ignorant. At least in the King James, in the New King James, it says that. If you have a different version, it's written a little differently. Is it saying here, don't teach people the truth, don't correct them. If they don't like it, they don't agree with it, just let them stay that way. It's because of that old English usage of the word ignorant. We don't use it in the same way. And so the uh, English Standard Version, the ESV, it translated this way, 1 Corinthians 14, 38. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. That means if someone doesn't agree with this, they're out. You're going to come against them. You're going to try and correct it. You're going to try and keep them in unity and have correction. But then no, you're, you're gone. You're out. Because you're not complying with the scriptures. So if they don't want to do it and they want to continue to say that everyone can speak at the same time, everyone can have tongues at the same time, prophecy, teaching. No. No, that, that's just not how we're going to do that anymore. 
If, you, if they can't obey the word of God, then you're going to say goodbye in the fellowship. You know what's strange in 1 John chapter 2? It talks about antichrist and those that are against the church. Let's look at that verse because I want you to see where they come from, many of them at least. He says, little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, but which we know, by which we know that it is the last hour. Verse 19 is the one we want to highlight. They went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were with us, of, of us. This just is just poetically telling us they came from the church. These people that are preaching heresy, they're leaving the church, they're going against the doctrines, they think they're spirit-led. They become little a, anti, they're against God's word. They're against Christ's mission. They're against his gospel because they're trying to rewrite these things for their own self-seeking and envy, to push themselves up. Remember, we saw that earlier. That comes from Satan. God is not the author of confusion. He has not given us a spirit of fear. He does things decently in an order, we're going to see. We don't make up our own doctrine. We conform to his. And so Paul's going to summarize here in verses 39 through 40. Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. And it's a perfect bookend. The sermon starts with, let all things be done for edification, building up. And then it ends with, let all things be done decently and in order. And that's what we do here. You know, when we close here in prayer, there's an opportunity for you to come on up, pray with people, interact, intercede for one another, get to know each other, being each other's lives. Have those gifts, not just tongues and prophecies, but helps and encouragement and administrations. Just sharing the word of God with each other, just living life together. Don't be a loafer. Spurgeon's words, not mine, remember? But we're to do things here decently and in order in this fellowship in Calvary Chapel, Low Country. You're to do things decently and in order in your own home because your home is a church. Your home is a gathering of believers. Men are to rule their own house as well. Organize it. Keep it disciplined. Ladies are to be homemakers. They are to be focused on the kids with their husbands together, submitting one to another in godly fear, Ephesians 5.21. We're to do things in the proper order with love. Remember, Corinthians 13 was in the middle of our discussion of gifts. Love is going to motivate all those things. And if the Spirit is moving, you'll see the gifts of the Spirit, and you'll see the fruits of the Spirit as Christ is magnified, not just in church and in home, but in your life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. We can never live up to your standards, but you work in us the Spirit moves in us. You change us. And I pray that we would continue to do church together. This ecclesia, this gathering together, and that we would do it at home. Teach us from your word, through your spirit, through the fellowship, Lord. Teach us to grow in you and to grow in grace. Let your name be magnified. Let your son be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you don't know the Lord, you don't know Jesus, you want to accept him as your Lord and Savior, come on up. We'd love to pray.